Hello, and welcome to Manifestor Academy for Entrepreneurs with Michelle Anderson. If you are curious about how to manifest the life and business of your dreams, you're in the right spot. I will be sharing interviews, tips, tricks, stories, and anything I can think of by lifting up the hood on my own experience and my own businesses, including my coaching practice, about how you can manifest your dream life and business I hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more, you can always go to michelleanderson.com. That's Michelle with two L's and Anderson with an S-E-N at the end. you guys I have a really cool uh, business superstar here with me today Christy Pretzinger owner of writer girl um, and I'm just impressed like just how you built your business and I'd love for you to just tell the audience a little bit about like how that came about because I think it's just a, a really cool area that you're in and how you got to where you got so hello Christy hello Michelle thanks for having me um, so as I understand your audience, they're um, entrepreneurs and, and people who are maybe just getting started. Um, I love to encourage younger businesses. I started out as a freelance writer a really, really long time ago. And um, I never would have dreamed that it would turn into a multi-million dollar business. It, that just wasn't really what I was thinking. When I started, I quit my job to be a freelance writer. I did it just because I didn't like being an employee. I didn't like somebody telling me what time I had to be at work and how I had to do things and all of that kind of stuff. So I just started freelancing. And um, I did that for about, let me think about that, for about, I think, 11 years. And then um, I ran into, I, I, I kept in touch with a former client of mine who had actually started Writer Girl. Um, but Writer Girl at that time was um, more of a company focused on writing copy, meaning headlines and subheads and naming and things like that and working strictly with ad agencies. And that, that was never my forte. I was always much more of a long form writer. So I ended up taking over Writer Girl. I bought her out in 2005 and almost immediately turned it into me bringing teams of writers to big projects through a, a number of things that happened. Um, the first thing that happened was an agency here in town I think it's called Possible now, it was Bridge back then. They approached me and they needed a team of eight writers plus a project manager to do something I thought was huge at the time, which was a 1,000 page content management system. And they needed it done, I think in eight weeks and then in the middle of the project, they cut it down to six and got it done and it went really well. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. I'll bring teams of writers to something. And then shortly thereafter, a hospital group in Dayton, a former client of mine from down here, but she was a marketing director at a hospital group in Dayton, needed um, three of their websites um, rewritten concurrently. So within a matter of a week or two, I had like 35 writers on that project, which anyway, it doesn't matter, it worked out okay. Um, but it was kind of a mess at the time. And so after that, I thought, oh, I'll bring teams of writers to hospitals, that that would be easy, you know, haha. Um, and I'm in Cincinnati, and at first I thought, you know, there's a million hospitals here. I thought they would talk to me and nobody would talk to me. So. I went to Columbus and um, met with Ohio State, and that was in 2007, I think. And they became um, a client right away, and they still are a client to this day. 
um, they go in and out in terms of the, you know, how big the projects are. They've been very vast at, at certain times, but now they tend to be smaller because we've already done all the big work for them, but we still work with them. And then from there on out, um, just kept calling on hospitals. Uh, now we work with hospitals all over the country. And we had a client in London, so I guess I could say we're global. Um, but we work strictly in hospitals and healthcare, meaning now we've moved into the payer, meaning the insurance providers world. And that is who we serve. That is awesome. And you make it sound like so easy, like bing, bang, boom, <laughs> like it all just kind of. Oh, it's so easy. Not. Unfolded. Um, yeah. And I know like some of the listeners are probably like, how did you do that? Like, did you have these networking moments or just kind of got on the phone? Like, I'm curious how you kind of got your initial splash with great clients. Well, you know, I'd been a freelancer for 11 years. And, and as probably most of your audience knows, if, like if, if I'm selling myself as a freelancer, the worst thing, the, the hardest part for me was always having to call people and sell myself. It just felt absurd, you know, having to toot my own horn. I never liked that. So once Writer Girl came along, I was like, oh, great. I can sell all these other people. I'm not selling me. So that made it so much easier for me. I felt much more open to calling on people to just basically, like I said, I started calling on hospitals and it was really very rudimentary. I had a free version of Salesforce um, and I would put the information in to Salesforce. I'd find the name somehow, you know, on, online or someplace. I didn't know anybody. Um, so it was completely cold. And um, I used Salesforce, like I said, in a very rudimentary fashion. I would send it, I didn't even know how to send an email through Salesforce really. So I would send an email through my email and then copy it and put it into Salesforce. And then if I would, I would call me the voicemail message and I would actually put in the Salesforce file what I said on the message so that I could remember what I'd said and what I was following up on. And then I was really big on sending out handwritten notes. That was a thing that I still, I'm a huge believer in and I have to encourage my sales team to do it now because people still will open a hand addressed envelope, especially in today's day and age where everything is so digital and you're just inundated with stuff that if you actually get mail hand addressed to you, it's kind of like, oh, I wonder what that is, you know? So I did a lot of that. It was a lot of personal um, high touch kind of things like that. One of the biggest breaks I got was such a break. Um, you know, Oprah says luck is preparation meeting opportunity. So I guess that's what this was. Um, somebody had told me I was, I became a woman owned certified business, um, which never had helped me in any way until um, I was calling on Indiana Health, IU Health. And I happened to reach their diversity person who usually in all honesty, in any corporation, hospital, whatever, tends to be an African-American woman. This was just some guy. I, and I think he was new to the role. I reached him. He reached back out to me and said, oh, I'd like to connect you with our marketing department. It's like, what? Okay. And so we did a phone call with um, their marketing director and like a marketing manager, I think it was. And I remember feeling like I just kind of flubbed the call. Like I, I just wasn't even prepared. And at the end of it, I mean, this is ridiculous. At the end of it, they said, okay, well, you know, we have to use or lose our marketing budget. So we have like $450,000 that we'd like to give you right now and then get it off of our books and then we can work it off over the next year. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I think we can do that. That should be fine. I was like, oh my gosh, that was the biggest project <laughs> I've ever had. So um, right after that, um, I hired my first salesperson and um, I was, I've never been a believer of competing with my employees in any way. So I 
did not want to sell and compete with her. So I gave her that IU account along with the commission that went with it. And she did a great job. She worked it really hard. She continued to work it over you know, several subsequent years and grow it. Um, and, um, and she took it over from there. But one of the things I'll tell you, interestingly enough, just for anybody who, as you go forward, um, I didn't study business in college, so I didn't have the language of business in a lot of ways. I knew when we collected that amount of money, the way that the, the writer girl model works and even more so then, now we have more employees. At that time, I think I had maybe two. And then the rest, everybody else were 1099. They were subcontractors. So I knew with that $450,000, that wasn't all mine, right? I mean, I, had to, I was going to have to pay out people. You know, I was going to have to do payroll. I was going to have to pay these contractors and all these different kinds of things. Well, I had an accountant who wasn't terribly bright, but I didn't know that at the time. And I, I think we just outgrew her very quickly. I don't think she knew how to manage this. So what happened is we collected $450,000 and I was on a cash basis at the time. And for those of you, in case you don't know, a cash basis means that you pay taxes on whatever you collect. So I didn't actually realize this at the time. This was, you know, I don't know, 2008, something like that. I didn't really realize that, but I knew enough that I was saying, okay, I know we don't keep all this. So I was trying to come up with my own way of doing what I now know is cruel by saying, okay, if we have all this money and we invoice our clients, let's say, because by this time we had other clients that were giving us large sums of money, say 50% up front, then I want all of my contractors to invoice 50% up front so I can figure out what we actually have and what we have to keep in arrears to pay these people. So I was kind of doing this very, you know, basic humanities major attempt at, um, at, at uh, you know, accrual accounting. And it was horrible. Um, so this went on for a while. Fast forward, um, I was getting divorced in, I have to think about what year that was. I think it was 2013. And I switched to a different accountant sort of guy, like an MBA guy who wasn't much better than her. But all of a sudden I had this epiphany. I'll never forget it. She was sitting there. He was sitting there. I was sitting there. And all of a sudden it hit me that I was paying spousal support for four years based on the fact that I was on a cash basis. So it looked like if you think about a cash basis, let's say that we collected 450,000 here, we collected 60 here, we collected 100 there, we collected all this stuff. It looked like I made so much money because that came through as an S-corp to the bottom line of my um, tax form. My, it's called a K-1. And it, so it looked like I made a whole bunch of money. And so we went through mediation and my ex-husband got, I can't remember now, four or five years, I'm so glad I can't remember, of spousal support at a very hefty amount based on something. So lesson learned is understand the language of business. Really understand that because I did not. And it cost me dearly. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that and like kind of describing in detail. And um, I learned a few things the hard way in terms of bookkeeping. Um, and you usually only learn it once, I think. <laughs> you won't make that again. And I always tell people that I've made so many mistakes. Let's leverage them so that people can learn from them. And then they don't have to make the same ones I did. You can make brand new ones, but you don't have to make the ones I did. Yeah. Well, um, so you were running this big old business and then you had this, you know, wake up moment with your books and then you went through this divorce and then um, did that like affect your business or was that kind of all systems running pretty well? It was terrifying, actually, to be honest with you, because by that point, I think I had, I don't know, maybe seven employees or something like that. So, you know, there's payroll. I was still worried about making payroll every month. Um, I didn't really have a, an accounting people that I really trusted. Um, and I was, I was worried once I, once I realized 
it was like, like I said, this epiphany, all of a sudden this colossal mistake that hit me. And I was like, oh my God, am I going to make my, am I going to, you know, I don't know about you guys, but as an entrepreneur, my biggest fear was always like the Saturday Night Live skit that I was going to end up living in a trailer by the river and I was going to ruin the lives of all my employees who were counting on me. You know, it was terrible. So I was, I, I had some very real fears and sleepless nights about that. Um, fast forward about, I think about a year. Um, and I had a friend who heard me on the phone with that guy who was my MBA guy. And he heard me and he was like, like muted the thing. It was like a Skype cross. And he goes, who the hell is working for who? You need to get rid of that guy. And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. And I clued in that I was paying him all this money once again. He was not really doing anything. I, again, I, I, was not, I, I wasn't confident in my own abilities when it came to that end of the business. I'm much more so now, um, but I wasn't then. And come to find out that actually he wasn't really doing anything. My, my bookkeeper, who is now my CFO, by the way, um, she is an accountant. She's brilliant. She's strategic. She's all these kind of things. She was doing all the work and he was acting like he was just checking it and charging me you know, 60 grand a year for the privilege of doing it. Um, so... I obviously got rid of him, moved to her. She's awesome. She's my CFO. And I always say, I don't breathe out without asking her, you know, I mean, she helps me with my personal and my business. Since I am an S corp, everything does flow through me. So it is like, I am the business in a very real sense of the word. Although now we have 17, I think 17 employees and we have upwards of a hundred 1099s that we work with across the country. So those were, it was that, those were scary times. I mean, that was only, you know, six years ago that I was worried about making payroll. And I think we were over a million by then, but maybe just barely. And now we're over four. So things can happen. You know, what in my experience, it took all those years of learning and you do little incremental things and you get up a little bit, and then you fall back a little bit, and then you get up a little bit, and then you fall back a little bit. And then as you learn, and, and to your point, Michelle, you usually only make those mistakes once. So then you can kind of build on those. And I started really understanding the biggest thing for me that I say to everybody all the time is that I hire to my weaknesses. And the key to doing that is you have to be willing to acknowledge that you have weaknesses to begin with. And I see a lot in, in entrepreneurs that I work with that, um, that I see even in entrepreneurs organization or even just other groups of people that I run into, there can be an unwillingness to be vulnerable and acknowledge your weaknesses because you feel like you need to be able to do everything or you actually think you can do it better than anybody else which by the way is categorically false. And the sooner you disavow yourself of that belief, the better off you'll be. Because there are people out there, I mean, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. And that's a really good way to, um, to kind of look at what you're doing. It doesn't mean you don't have a gut instinct. You're the entrepreneur. You know, you do think differently than other people. Other people don't process ideas the way you do. They may not see opportunities the way you do. And that is a unique skill set. However, that doesn't mean that you're good at everything else that entails running a business. Absolutely. It's cool that you shared about that guy accountant that you had. And, yeah. you know, I, in, I think sometimes, you know, people listening myself, I used to be afraid to like hire somebody just because mm -hmm. I didn't want to be taken advantage of, or, you know, maybe hired the wrong person at one time or other, and then was afraid to do it again. But um, you don't know what you don't know. So right. 
you had them in place. <laughs> and I didn't know, I mean, I still don't know how to do QuickBooks. I never have known how to do QuickBooks. I mean, when I was a freelancer, my accounting, my dad had been self-employed his whole life as a, as a structural engineer. So I understood being self-employed, you know, so that was kind of how I came at this. I had literally a ledger sheet and I wrote down on it, you know, how much the invoice was, the date of the invoice, and then I checkmarked it when it was paid. <laughs> so that was my accounting. You know, I never had any complex accounting thing. I, like I said, to this day, I still don't know how to use QuickBooks. I, it's not my skill set. Nobody wants me in our QuickBooks online. Like that would be really bad. It's, it's better for me just to look at the reports. And I believe me, I've always understood how to read a p and I mean, that, that's something that you need to, um, to make sure you do understand. And if you don't, just ask the questions. Have someone explain it to you, which I did over the years to be like, okay, well, what does that mean? What are those things? What are those costs? What, what's that associated? Why does that look like that versus this? And I still ask all those questions because my inclination as the owner is to look straight to the bottom line. What's our net? What's our net income? And what's the increase over last year? You know, that's where I tend to go. But then I have to look at all the different line items too, as much as I sometimes don't want to. But now it's actually kind of interesting. I like how you mentioned that your CFO helps you with both sides of your finances, your business and your personal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, you know, I had this thing where I would just work, work, work until I had something. I didn't even know what I was working for to like then go on and think about my personal stuff. But it really like wasn't until... I put them side by side and I was like, well, I'd like to afford this this year. So that means I have to do this. And like, right. I started to see how they were linked together. So are you kind of, what were your kind of light bulbs around that? Or why did you decide to have her look at both? Well, you know, when I was um, smaller and on my own, I used to look more like, okay, I just want to double my income or whatever. Like I would just, that was just kind of like these aspirational goals that I would have. I was like, okay, double my income. It wasn't about what I was going to do with it. It was just like, I just want to make more. Let's do that. And, um, and that worked for a while. But then when it came down to, to having Ro Roxanne is, is her name, when I had Roxanne start working with me personally, it was because of, um, I was paying for private school for my son. Um, you know, I was finishing up, like I finished my spousal support. And, um, and by the way, that was really fun because when it was done, I had what I called a free at last party. And I took one month of spousal support and threw one heck of a party. It was better than my wedding. It was really fun. And Roxanne, you know, we budgeted for all of that. It was like, okay, this is, this is all going to be expenses that how much money are you going to need? Because first of all, I do draw a salary from the business that is planned. It's part of payroll. You know, my 401k is part of payroll. My insurance is part of payroll because I am a W2 employee of the business as well as the owner. So I take um, distributions, but I also get a, a direct W-2 paycheck. Um, when I started working with Roxanne was, I think she actually offered because I've never, I had never done a personal budget. And I would, I've, I mean, these are just personal things of me that, that maybe other people feel too, but my whole life money was an issue for me. Um, I always had plenty of it. I mean, I always made enough money and I grew up with enough money, but I always had this thing around it of, was I actually worthy of having the money that I made? And so um, it was just this thing. And I felt judged if I um, spent money or bought too many nice things for myself and things like that. And as a result, I never had a budget. I just kind of was like, la, 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 la. and there was always plenty of money. So I would just take it. Next thing you know, if you have a little bit of money, you, you, it's like flowing through your fingers, like, you know, like sand. So I knew I wanted to kind of get my arms around it a little bit. And, um, 
and live on a budget and, and a budget at whatever income level you have. It doesn't matter. It wasn't like it's a budget. Like I looked at budget like the word diet, like you're limiting me. And it wasn't that. It was like, okay, you spend whatever you want on your American Express every month. Let's assume what that is. And then here it is. We'll budget for that. And, you know, I knew I had to pay my son's private school. Now I pay for his college. Um, you know, I knew car insurance or my long-term care insurance, all these different kinds of things that I had coming up. And so she just helped me. We went through all my bills, found out where everything was, fixed, every, you know, organized everything, which was awesome, and then came up with a budget. And I just lived to a budget. And sometimes I spend more, you know, I mean, things happen. And I'm like, oh, I went way over on my Amex this month because I did X, Y, Z. Like, okay, well, just take a bigger distribution. And, you know, and it works out that way. So it, it, it helped me personally feel more in control and less judged. Because whenever, even... My, my CFO doesn't, it, it's not her business what I do with my money, nor would she ever judge me about that. But I felt judged about it when I would just be like, I need another distribution without ever having a budget to go with it. So now I get paychecks and distributions based on what my budget is. And that's just what it is. And it, it, it works really, really well for me. I love how you just like shared that like journey and you didn't really know about bookkeeping but you just went on and grew your million dollar business anyway <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. didn't you know you were writing it down you said you wrote it down and yeah. put a check mark by it so that didn't stop you from like getting these hospitals and stuff to sign on yeah you know you just kind of i mean we in fact my, my first cpa which by the way in case anybody doesn't know that your CPA means you're good at passing a test it doesn't necessarily mean you're a good accountant because mine had a CPA and she was not a good accountant. Um, I think she's just very simplistic and she do W-2s for people as opposed to, you know, do their taxes as opposed to what, what you actually need to have someone help you run a business. But what we used to do, it was so antiquated. It's so funny. We would have this folder and like, let's say that somebody had paid us 60 grand and we started working that off and we would like, we would take it and say, okay, now you want us to write X, Y, Z. Here's the cost for that within this 60 grand that you gave us. It's going to be $10,000 or whatever. And then let's say that um, there was a little project in there. There was a letter we had to write. And it was going to be $700 or something. And somebody tracked their time, but they actually tracked so much more than $700. Like, well, I can't bill them for that. So we'd keep a little running tally of extra hours that we had to bill them later that would look better. We could hide it somewhere. It was, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely <laughs> absurd when I look back at it. It's the dumbest thing. I mean, now we have, you know, obviously when you're, much bigger, you have to have more processes, but I have salespeople and operations people who have developed these processes for managing these large amounts of cash that we take in and accounting for them appropriately um, in, a, in a manner, in a monthly, uh, timely manner to all of our clients. So um, it just grew out of necessity, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. When you were describing that, I did have some horrible flashbacks of ways that I pretended to make money work in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my head is a very dangerous neighborhood. I try not to go there alone. That's Annie Lamott who says that one, but it's like the way my head works, you, you don't want me doing that stuff. It's not, it's not my skill set. I'm better at other things, not that. It was cool too how you mentioned like it was way easier for you to sell a team than to sell yourself personally. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that too, because like once I hired a person, I felt like I was like selling the brand and not me personally. And it seemed really easy. Yeah. It's so much easier. Um, and you know, the name of my um, main business is writer girl. And so people would think it was me, but I would make very clear that it was not me. 
that, um, you know, I'm just, I'm the owner and I'm selling it, but there's a whole team of people who are very qualified and um, skilled and, you know, in different areas. So if you needed ad copy, which we didn't really do very much of, but, you know, we would match the person that, that became kind of the stories. We would match the writer to the, um, to the project to make sure that it worked the best way. So I could talk about all these people. And also the, the thing that was different versus being a freelancer was being able to say, look, if, if, pardon me, if we put a writer on a project and you don't like the writer, we always have a project manager. So you don't have to have that awkward conversation like you do with the freelancer, which like, I really don't like your work and I want you to go away. Um, they could say that, say to me as the project manager, I mean like, this is not working with this writer. I'm like, okay, don't worry about it. We'll get another one. And I would never, and I also made sure when I talked to the writers that I would never throw them under the bus because that would make us look bad. It's like, we have a good writer. Maybe she just isn't a fit for this particular project, but how about this guy? He might be a better fit. So that way um, we protected the writers uh, from you know criticism and things like that. And we also protected the client from having to be overly critical with someone when most people tend to be nice. They don't wanna be mean. To, to someone who's not delivering and it can become very awkward for them. So by having that um, kind of wall there, it helped them too. So, and it helped me too, because I could talk about those other people. I'm hearing like this theme of like this take responsibility, like attitude, like you're not gonna throw your writers under the bus or you're gonna make sure like there's integrity with the process. Like, did right. you have that when you were building your business? Is that, or did you like stumble upon it? Like, I'm curious about that. Well, I've said many times, I mean, I've, I've grown and changed so much uh, in the past 15 years of having Writer Girl, but when I first started doing it, it grew out of my own insecurities because I wanted to be everybody's favorite client and everybody's favorite vendor. Um, and as a result, um, you know, I built a culture around that whole idea of making sure that, you know, I didn't want our, our writers to have to chase down money because I knew as a freelancer, that was horrible when you had to call a client and be like, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? So I did everything I could to make sure we paid. I think that we say within a maximum of 45 days. Now we pay people ACH. So they invoice us at the first of the month for the previous month and they get a check within, they get a, a deposit in their account within five days. Um, but it used to be, you know, longer because we would try to manage cash flow. Um, but that was important to me that I protect that because I had been so recently a freelancer. I knew what that was like. And I also knew that, I knew that if we could give people a bunch of like, say, okay, here's $5,000 worth of time that people would take that. Cause that helps level out, you know, the, the income of a, of a freelancer. So I was always kind of thinking about that and remembering my experience. Then as we added more employees, one of the things that um, always resonated with me, it was conversations my dad and I used to have was that everybody wants to know that they matter. It's a, it's a human need to know that they matter. And so I've, always been very pretty vocal about the fact in writer girl that certainly positions are replaceable they have to be but the people aren't that the magic that a person brings to that position will is appreciated and would be missed if that person you know chose to leave so that's that's built a real culture of um people understanding that they are appreciated they're noticed they matter um, and, uh, and as a result of that, anybody who has voluntarily left Writer Girl has continued to work with us as a contractor. So we really, we've had to fire two people, I think, over the years, but in terms of people who have voluntarily left, we have 100% retention because they all stay on as contractors. So I think that speaks pretty highly to the culture.
That's really cool. I think you mentioned like you have some cool events that you do together or? Yeah, we do a lot of different things together. Um, I won um, a riverboat cruise at a silent auction. So we're doing that this Saturday night. Um, and my leadership team, we travel different places to do our leadership meetings periodically. There are six of us. So like last summer, we went down to the Grove Park Inn in Asheville and we all had a spa day at that gorgeous spa. If you don't know that spa, you should just look it up, the Grove Park Inn uh, spa, it's remarkable. And this year we're going down to Florida because we have a conference um, in Florida. So some of us will be in Orlando and then we're gonna go up to Clearwater Beach and stay at this place where I like to go and we'll have our meeting there. What I've learned from doing that with my leadership team is that by spending that time together really closely is you get to, to form relationships that, that are much more than just the business aspect of it. Because we have leadership meetings every month. We do quarterly um, uh, planning meetings, strategic planning meetings. Uh, we talk to each other all the time. We have lots of you know, Zoom meetings and you know, a monthly team meeting with the entire company. So there's a lot of times that we get together but those times of doing things that are not work-related um, are the times that really build the bonds. And our company mission statement is we build relationships one word at a time. And we take that seriously. We build relationships with each other. We build them with our vendors, all of our contractors, and we build them with our relationship with our clients. And then in turn, help our clients build relationships with their patient populations one word at a time. I think that sounds really cool. I'm glad you shared like about the get-togethers and um you know we're a team of two but i've had that on like it's actually on my list to calendar for next year our yeah. hangout days like so that we yeah. can build our culture mm -hmm. um with like you say the relationships i love that yeah and even just like what a lot of the employees do we since we're all virtual and we do have some employees we have one in florida I can't remember if we have one or two in tennessee and then we have a, a group we call them the columbus contingent there's a few up in columbus too but most of them are here but what they do, like for example, the operations people that are in Columbus, I can't remember if there's three, I think there's three of them up there. Yeah, there's three. So what happened is one, um, one day they all ended up, they all were available and the Cincinnati group got together and drove up to Columbus and met at one of the women's houses. She has kind of like a house in the country a little bit. So they all sat outside and spent the day co-working and they, they've talked countless times about how great that is when they do it because like somebody's, we all have Macs. We set everybody up with a, a Mac and AirPods and an iPhone and that stuff. So everybody's got the same equipment and somebody, they're like working together. Somebody goes, this keeps happening on my computer. And somebody else is like, wait a minute, I know how to fix that. And so they're jumping in and fixing, which, you know, we don't have an office. So people often don't, you know, you're not, you don't run into that thing when you're not co-working with someone and all of a sudden you're co-working, it happens and somebody else knows, oh, I know how to fix that. So that's been a really great thing too, is to have people just organically kind of, um, you know, get together and, and co-work. Either we belong at Field Collective and also down at Union Hall. And so people will occasionally meet there just to co-work, maybe go have lunch and, you know, hang out and things like that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I was curious about that because, you know, I like to give some face-to-face -face with our team and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do that as much as we can. Um, just again, to have people and especially as the owner of the business you know our business isn't that big but it's to the point now where i the, some of the newer employees i will probably never work with i mean i you know i don't i don't supervise them um there, there's a few people in between but what i try and do every every year not i try to do i do this um i have a lunch meeting with that employee and it was funny the first time i did it 
I reached out to somebody and said, hey, are you free for lunch? And they went to their boss and like, oh my gosh, is she mad at me? And I'm like, okay, that's really bad. If, I'm, if somebody thinks that I'm mad at them because I want to have lunch with them, I have failed. So now I say, okay, once a year, we're going to do this lunch. And I have three questions. What are your personal goals? What are your uh, professional goals? And what are your financial goals? And just let's talk about it. So just they're kind of conversation starters. And I take notes and just kind of write down what they say. And then the next year, I email those notes to them and say, hey, here's what you said last year. Let's get together again and let's talk and see if those still hold true, if things have changed or, you know, just what do you think? And it makes for, it allows me to actually know my employees, which I hope they appreciate. I want to know them. You know, I want to know about their lives and um, things that are going on. And that's a, a nice way to do it kind of informally. I really like that. Yeah, <laughs> it just happened. That happened kind of organically because I started realizing that um, for the size of the company at that time, maybe 10, 11 employees, I was way too far away. That's not, I, I didn't mean to be that way, you know, but um, as somebody that works on the business now, as opposed to in the business, I'm not in the weeds of the day-to-day -day stuff. I know what's going on because I work with my COO. And so I know when there's like a client issue or when something might be happening, you know, over here, I know that stuff, but they don't know I know that stuff. I'm not involved in it. Well, what's like something unexpectedly cool that has happened like on this side of you running Raider Girl into this really awesome like success? So many things. Um, for me, I've said all along for years that um, obviously we're a for-profit business, but what Writer Girl and, and really any business, if you are open to it, allows you to do is um, grow personally because you rub up against other people and you recognize your rough spots and hopefully you rub each other's rough spots down a little bit. So, um, so it's really a lot of personal growth and, and people on my team have had, I, it's been interesting to see the personal growth. Some more than others, some are more open to it than others and that's absolutely fine. But watching like my CFO and my COO, um, both of whom who we work with a personality typing program called the Enneagram. And both of them work individually with the Enneagram coach that works with our company. And watching their self-awareness grow is remarkable to me. I mean, that is a great joy of my life to see two people become so much more self-aware and as a result have a, a more enriched life. Um, so that's been really a wonderful thing. And then a funny thing is that one year for Christmas, I got my COO and um, at the time, my only salesperson, I think, I got them both um, a cleaning lady for Christmas because I never know what to get them. So I got them a cleaning lady for like, I can't remember a certain amount of time. So, um, and then one of them has had children periodically. And so when she has a baby, I'll double up and say, okay, instead of once a week, you can have her twice a week or something for a period of time, just to kind of help her through that. So my CFO had never had a cleaning lady and spent all day Saturday cleaning. And just recently one day I'm sitting here in my kitchen, my COO, my CFO, and then that salesperson were all sitting around talking about their cleaning ladies. And I was like, oh, I can die a happy woman. You should not clean your own toilets. And that made me very happy. So that's been a really cool thing. <laughs> oh, I love that too. Part of my mission is to tell people to have a cleaning person. <laughs> yes, you have to. It's <laughs> worth it. Because you. I used to always say, even when I had an hourly rate, my hourly rate is more than I'm paying them to clean. Yeah. So why don't I just do what I can do and pay somebody else to do what they can do? Yeah. I remember when I didn't think I could afford it, I actually hired a homeschooled kid to help. 
because I knew the value of having that. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's very smart. Um, well, awesome. Well, um, I could pick your brain forever and I don't um, want to kind of make the listeners who are listening on their commute kind of feel like they're missing out. But um, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, I still want to ask you more questions, but um, tell, tell the audience, like, what do you really hope that, you know, a couple things that they could hear from you? I mean, there's some newbies, there's some people that are wannabes, like, you know, about that they might need today to hear? I would just encourage them. Um, you know, I have a friend who has a job that she doesn't love and she's been doing it for years and years. And what she really wants to do is be a party planner. And she's a brilliant party planner. I mean, every time I've been to him, it's like perfect, you know, like a Martha Stewart thing or something. And she was talking about to do that making money doing it and I said are you kidding me I mean have you heard of the store like of course you can make money party planning and then I always say you know I was a freelance writer and making like I don't know 70 to 80 thousand dollars a year and happy to have it you know and and now I have a multi-million dollar writing business who would have ever thought I don't think that even existed until this happened with writer girl you know so I would encourage you whatever your idea is if you really believe in it to hold on to that and and to hold on to the feeling of knowing that success, like, like, you know, be really happy with where you are and eager for more, knowing that like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so much fun. Like, I love doing this and I know what it's going to feel like when it's, you know, 200,000 a year, half a million a year, when I hit a million a year, that's going to be so cool. And, and believing in that and holding on to that because the day-to-day -day grind of being an entrepreneur can be very difficult. I know it. And it, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of long hours, a lot of, hard work, a lot of insecurity, um, being unsure about things. But if you can hold on to that belief and that, that, that idea of why you're doing it in the first place. So I guess really your why, why are you doing it, you know, um, and hold on to that because it's worth it. And, and not everybody can do what you guys are doing. Entrepreneurs are different. They are different. Appreciate your differences. Understand that not everybody has the, the guts or the, the vision or the way of looking at the world that someone who is an entrepreneur has. So appreciate that about yourselves. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Well, I've so enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much, Christy. If people wanna thank like you. find you or look up your company, Writer Girl, how can they find you? It's um, writergirl.com, just like it sounds. It's writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, girl.com. And um, there's a page on there about our team and I'm right there. Uh, there's also, I mean, you can Google Christy Pretzinger. I'm way too findable. Um, but you can also reach out to me. Feel free to reach out to me, Christy at writergirl.com anytime. Um, I'm happy to, to share anything that would help you. I mean, like I said, I've made a million mistakes. I'm happy to share them. So you don't <laughs> have to make those. Oh, thank you so much. And as always, I'll have the notes in the description. So um, if you guys are just listening, that you can catch up with those later. So so glad to have you here today, Christy. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. I appreciate it.
Thank you so much for joining us on the episode today. I'm so glad you were here to give a listen. If you liked it, this is a new podcast right now, so I would really appreciate it if you would give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, just to let other people know that this is a place where you can learn how to manifest the life and business of your dreams. Also, if you want to find out more, follow us on Instagram. It's Michelle and Anderson with an S-E-N at the end on Instagram and Michelle Anderson. Dot com is the website.